This is it, the last full day of Barack Obama's presidency. In a final presidential press conference, Obama laid out some of his plans for the hours leading up to the inauguration of Donald Trump. Because he's a lame duck. But Obama has not let the clock run out on his presidency without taking some substantial actions. He took these actions without consulting with Congress, as befits the man who signed fewer bills into law than any other president, including Jimmy Carter, who only served one term and was a total doofus. Among these final Obama acts, Obama stood by and allowed the United Nations, a famous New York house of ill repute, to pass a resolution condemning our ally Israel for building settlements in East Jerusalem, a city whose name is derived from the word Yerushalayim, which is Hebrew because the city has been the Jewish capital since around a thousand years before Jesus was a twinkle in the eye of God, who, by the way, gets really mad when jackasses mess with his people, the Jews. So don't do it. Oops, too late. Obama also ended the policy of wet foot, dry foot. So now, if you're enjoying living under Cuban communism so much that you want to spread the word by building a raft out of coconuts roped together with phlegm and then paddling 110 miles through shark-infested waters with your children clinging to the edges until the survivors manage to claw their way through the raging surf to touch the blessed free shores of America, our country can thank you for letting us know what a great system communism is and then send you back to enjoy it even more more. Obama also commuted the sentence of Bradley Manning, who is now Chelsea Manning, because he got tired of Manning and wanted to start womaning, but who, while he was still Manning, was also traitoring by releasing secret documents that put America's friends overseas in mortal danger. Manning may still demand that the government pay for his sex change operation, which, by the way, I offered to do for free until the knife was wrested from my hand. Obama says before he leaves office, he would like to take yet a few more steps in keeping with his personal beliefs and temperament. Those steps include releasing Islamic terrorists from Guantanamo Bay so they can kill more Americans, driving through London and screaming Queen Elizabeth is ugly, tui, 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 sneaking into the Lincoln Monument and putting an Obama mask on the statue there, and scrawling Donald Trump is a stinky head on the walls of the Oval Office in red crayon. When asked whether he was being a petty, petulant, self-obsessed, anti-American weasel, Obama had this to say. Because he's a lame duck. <laughs> Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. A new age now begins. This is it. I cannot believe it. The next time we meet after the Clavenless weekend, it's going to be Obama's Clavenless weekend. <laughs> we'll have a new president. It's going. This. I'm truly. This is going to be an exciting, exciting time. I am excited. It will also be a little uncertain, and that's why we keep peddling Birch Gold to you because Birch will help you out by protecting your investments in cash, so you can also have some investments in gold, which traditionally keeps its value better than cash, especially in troubled and turbulent times. Birch Gold brings 
physical gold directly to your door. We'll sell you physical gold and bring it directly to your door. And listen, you don't have to listen to me talk about it. You can get a free 16-page kit. We'll tell you how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of risky stocks and bonds and into a precious metals IRA. To get this no-cost, no-obligation 16-page kit, go to www.birchgold.com slash Andrew. That's www.birchgold.com slash Andrew. This is a big deal because, you know, even if the economy starts to come back, there could be inflation. Whether you're young or old, you want to make sure that your cash retains, your investments retain their values. Uh, This is a company that people trust. It has... um, a long-standing track record of continued success with thousands of satisfied clients, countless five-star reviews, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold. So, contact Birch Gold Group right now to request a free information kit on physical precious metals, a 16-page kit that you get by going to www.birchgold.com slash Andrew, www.birchcom. Ah, www.birchgold.com slash Andrew. No wonder nobody. <laughs> All right. President Obama. Well, we're having a good time. That's the important thing. We can't, we can't pay our rent, but we're having a good time. Uh, so, um, President Obama. You remember President Obama. He gave his uh, last press conference yesterday, a little teary-eyed. And I'm going to play you. I'm going to start out by playing you this very long, you know, over two minutes, uh, anthology of questions from Grabian, a really good website that puts these things together. This is Obama tells the press that they are supposed to, you know, they gave him a tough time. They asked him the tough questions. You know, they were skeptical. They were tough on him, but that's the way America is supposed to be. And then a selection of the questions they asked him. It's so amazing. I just wanted to play a really large segment of it. You're not supposed to be syncophants. You're supposed to be skeptics. You're supposed to ask me tough questions. On LGBT rights, we've seen a lot of achievements over the past eight years, including signing hate crime protection legislation, don't ask, don't tell, repeal, marriage equality nationwide, and ensuring transgender people feel visible and respected. How do you think LGBT rights will rank uh, in terms of uh, your accomplishments and your legacy? And how confident are you that Congress will endure or continue under the president-elect? Thank you very much. You have said that you would come back to fight for the dreamers. You said that a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Are you fearful for the status of those dreamers, the future of the young immigrants and all immigrants in this country with a new administration? Thank you, Mr. President. I want to ask you about your conversations with the president-elect. Were you able to use that opportunity to convince him to take a fresh look at some of the important ideas that you will leave uh, this office with? Uh, maintaining some semblance of the Affordable Care Act, uh, some idea of keeping dreamers here in the country uh, without fear of deportation. Were you able to use personal stories to try to convince him, and how successful were you? Thank you, Mr. President. Um, Long before today, you've been considered a white president. Um, Under your watch, people have said that you have expanded the rubber band of inclusion, and with the election and the incoming administration, people are saying that rubber band has recoiled and maybe is even broken. And I'm taking back to a time on Air Force One going to Selma, Alabama, when you said your job was to close the gaps that remain. And with that, what gaps still remain when it comes to rights issues on the table 
And also, what part will you play in fixing those gaps after in your new life? Um, I appreciate the opportunity, and I want to wish you and your family best of luck in the future. Thank you. Um, Mr. Trump promised to move the embassy to Jerusalem. He appointed an ambassador that doesn't believe in a two-state solution. How worried are you are about the U.S. leadership in the Arab world and beyond as an honest broker? Will this ignite a third intifada? Will this even protect Israel? And in retrospect, do you think that you should have held Israel more accountable? Oh, the least I can do is give her the last question as President of the United States. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, there you go. Go ahead. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. President. It has been an honor. It has been an honor. It has been an honor asking you these tough questions. How how great are your achievements? You know, have you? What what did you do to Donald? Could you convince Donald Trump to preserve the greatness of your greatness? How how great is your greatness? Is your greatness greater than other greatness, or is this the greatest greatness that ever has been great? You know, I mean, <laughs> these guys these guys are so sucked into this fantasy that something remarkable has happened. And I ask anybody, any observer, any fair observer to look at this country over the last eight years, has anything remarkable, has this country changed in any remarkable way that is that is going to stay changed? I mean, you know, the only thing that I would say, which had not, really didn't have that much to do with Obama, it was the court uh, passing the gay marriage right. But that I told you that was coming down the pike years ago. I told people, I told conservatives that we were going to lose that battle. It must have been 10, 15 years ago. And I told them that they basically was the one thing the left was right about, gay people should be left alone. But, you know, it's amazing. And these are just, just to remember how wise these people are, how much these people know about the world. Let's remember how these, this press corps reacted when Donald Trump announced his presidency. Let's have a, an anthology of that. The Daily News considers Trump a clown. The New York Post considers uh, Trump a rich guy who could make it to the White House. I do not hate Donald Trump, but I do not take him seriously. I thought, you know, everything that was garish and ridiculous about him was fully on display. Unconventional? Will people who love him love it? Yeah, but will it get him anywhere close to becoming the nominee or the president of the United States? I think not. I think there is a vein for him to tap, and he's going to get some some serious votes. He can't win, but he can get a lot of votes. While no one expects Trump to get close to winning the nomination, that doesn't mean that they're happy he's in. I mean, this is this is the problem with Donald Trump for Republicans. Of course, he's not going to win. He probably will make the, the main stage. He'll be one of the top 10 vote getters just because of name recognition and, the, and our obsession with stardom. The problem is he's going to be a flamethrower. He has nothing to lose. But he says the most provocative things like when Mexico sends its people, they're bringing drugs they're bringing crime. They're rapists and some, I assume, are good people. What is your strategy and how can you how can you succeed when you say things like that? Well, you can't again, Gail, if the question is how can you become president? You can't by saying things like that. Can we stipulate for the purposes of this conversation that Donald Trump will never be president of the United States? <laughs> see, there's there's nothing wrong with being wrong. We're all nobody can see the future and we're all wrong sometimes and this was a black swan election and certainly I never thought when he started running I never thought he was going to get anywhere. I, I I remember saying at one point that I didn't think he'd win a single primary. The one thing is that when you're wrong you got to look at what you did wrong. You got to start to change your mind, you know? I keep hearing people saying, "Well, it was humbling," but I don't see anybody getting humble. You know, I don't see anybody saying, "Well, maybe maybe I should shut up a little bit, back off, listen a little bit, see where this guy is going, give him a second chance, you know, really take another look at what he did since he wrong-footed me, maybe he deserves a kind of respect to see where he's going to go with all this." But CNN has a better idea. CNN has a better idea of how we should react. 
We, they, you know, they, we tried. We tried the recounts. That didn't work. We tried to convince the electoral, uh, the electoral college voters to change their minds. That didn't work. We tried to uh, overturn the electoral college in the uh, Congress. That didn't work. But CNN has one last idea that might work. Listen to this. And while officials stress there's no specific credible threat to this inauguration, tonight, due to a quirk in America's rules for succession, questions remain about just who would be in charge if an attack hit the incoming president, vice president, and congressional leaders just as the transfer of power is underway. Here you have a very confusing line of succession. There. According to the Constitution, if the president and vice president are killed or incapacitated, next in line is the House Speaker, then the president pro tempore of the Senate. But what if something happened to them at the inauguration, too? After that, it goes down the list of cabinet secretaries, starting with Secretary of State. On the day of the inauguration, as a precaution, a cabinet secretary called the designated presidential successor will not attend the inauguration, ready to step in if something happens. But it won't be a Trump cabinet secretary, since none of them have been confirmed yet. It will be an Obama appointee. That's it. That's it. Why didn't we think of this before? We just kill everybody. We just kill everybody. Then Kiefer Sutherland becomes president, and he's an Obama appointee. You know, sure, we got to kill Obama and Biden too. But you know, you know, CNN. As far as CNN is concerned, they did their job. You know, it's like now they can be this. I mean, these guys. Well, you know, the reason is is the media. You know, we keep saying the media is on the side of the left. That's true. The media is left, but it's also globalist, you know. And when I when I use the word globalist, I don't mean like this is some big conspiracy. It's two different visions of the world. There's a vision of the world in which we're a collection of nation states and competition with each other in terms of not just in terms of uh, economics, but also in terms of culture, in terms of belief. We have to examine our our core beliefs, examine the sources of our core beliefs, cling to them. Go, you know, when we go astray from them, come back to them, argue about them. You know, part of the glory of the West is being self-critical. By the way, which, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I'm not a, a fist thumper, you know, I'm not a guy who's always shouting, yeah, that's this way, because I think part of being self-critical is part of the glory of the West. But, you know, the, the other side of this is this kind of global vision where unelected bureaucrats and experts are going to tell us all how well this is going to go. They're going to run our lives for us. And then when you say it's not working, you know, when you say it's not working, they're stunned. You know, it's kind of like all, all week long we've been talking about the fact that the kind of uh, the kind of wall of black support for the Democrats is kind of crumbling around Trump. I mean, I think I think there are a lot of people who realize that, the, you know, Obama was inspiring. They loved having him in there and all this great guy and the whole. But they didn't get anything. Their neighborhoods still stink and these policies don't work. And I think a lot of these people, they know Trump. You know, they understand Trump. He is a he is a down to earth person speaking English. They get it. They understand who this guy is and they don't don't hate him as much as the left keeps telling them they're supposed to. So, you know, all the left ever does is, oh, blacks, they're victims. It's terrible. It's terrible. Their lives are so awful. Your life is so you can't do anything for yourself. And then Donald Trump gets up and says, look, your life is awful under Democrats. What have you got to lose by changing? And they say, what a terrible thing to say. What a terrible thing that was. Remember Hillary Clinton? You know, how can you say that when they're so vibrant? You know, they're so <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What is it like like an island nation? You know, where the people, the people are dancing and singing, you know, these are the inner cities. People are blowing each other to pieces, and it stinks. And it's those policies, those left-wing expert policies, that don't work. We got to say goodbye to Facebook and to YouTube, but come to thedailywire.com. You can listen to the rest, subscribe to thedailywire.com, and you don't have to bounce around like this, like some itinerant with no home. You can just stay and watch the whole thing on the website, and also send your questions into the mailbag. <coughs>
Okay, so here's Dan Henniger. I always call Dan Henniger. He's like the avatar. <coughs> pardon me. He's the avatar of the establishment. He is like he's as if the establishment just was incarnate, you know. And <coughs> and, he, and this is what he says. He's talking about this world vision, this vision of experts and bureaucrats. Brussels and Washington are going to run everything. And he's talking about how that is going up in flames. And remember, they're in Davos now, these people meeting in Switzerland, talking about, you know, what just happened, basically, and how, how horrible it is and how worried they are about their power disappearing. And Henninger says, today, the administrative state, like an old dying star, is in destructive decay. Government failures are causing global political instability. This is the real legitimacy problem and is the reason many national populations are in revolt. Some call that populism. Others would call it a democratic awakening. Two case studies, Chicago's crime rate and Obamacare. After decades of state-administered benefits and services being poured into Chicago's poorest neighborhoods, the Obama administration, in a consent decree formally blamed the current anarchy on the police. It's all the police's problem. This is a tacit admission of public failure. Obamacare is the climactic event in the history of the modern administrative state. It was going to provide health care for millions, delivered through a complex policy labyrinth. Its academic architects say now, as so often in the past, that it would work if given more time. Time's up. Okay? So this is, so now they're trying to tell us that things are not so bad. Just the same way Hillary Clinton, when Donald Trump finally said to the black people, what do you got to lose? Hillary Clinton, no, no, things, all that time we told you things were bad, they're not bad. Now suddenly they're going to tell us, no, no, things are going great. Obama was, in his presser, was saying, oh, you know, uh, civil rights has improved. It's improved immensely, you know. Like, what, what proof, what evidence most of the people in the country say that civil rights, the race relations are worse? We can see that they're worse. There were riots under the Obama administration. There haven't been riots like that. In years and years and years, the crime rate is so is skyrocketing as the police pull back because the president kept sending out the Justice Department to sit on their backs, you know, the, the, the so-called Ferguson effect. You know, this is decimating these neighborhoods. So today, John Kerry, the outgoing secretary of state and an idiot, writes in The New York Times, a former newspaper, you know, well, there are some who see nightmares wherever they look and insist that the entire global system is unraveling and that America's position as world leader is in precipitous decline. What do they know? What, you know who are you going to believe, John Kerry or your own eyes? Here's one person who says that the uh, international order is in danger of unraveling. Uh, Joe Biden, vice president, who is in Switzerland talking to the pe people who think they're the leaders of the world. But the greatest threat on this front springs from the distinct illiberal and external actors who equate their success with fracturing the liberal international order. We see it in Asia and the Middle East, where China and Iran would clearly prefer a world in which they, their sway, they have overwhelming sway in their regions. And I'll not mince words. This movement is principally led by Russia. Under President Putin, Russia is working with every tool available to them to, one, whittle away at the edges of the European project, test the fault lines among Western nations, and return to a politics defined by spheres of influence. <laughs> well, if China and Iran and Russia are all against us, then there are spheres of influence. I mean, that is what spheres of influence are. But now he's telling us that Russia is our main geopolitical foe. Let's hear what Obama said back in the day when he was talking to Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney said that. Governor Romney, I'm glad that you recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat. 
because a few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not Al-Qaeda, you said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know, the Cold War's been over for 20 years. But Governor, you know, when it comes to our foreign policy, you seem to want to import the foreign policies of the 1980s, just like the social policies of the 1950s and the economic policies of the 1920s. You say that you're not interested in duplicating what happened in Iraq, but just a few weeks ago you said you think we should have more troops in Iraq right now. And the, the, the challenge we have, I know you haven't been in a position to, to actually execute foreign policy, but every time you've offered an opinion, you've been wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, somebody's wrong, someone's wrong there, who is it? So, you know, the experts, the experts are not so smart. Let, you know, let's go back to Biden for a minute and let's let him define the world they are trying to build. Let's go back and see what it was they were trying to do that is now being rejected by people around, across the West. And again, the purpose is clear, to collapse the liberal international order. Simply put, Mr. Putin has a different vision of the future, one in which Russia is, uh, is pursuing across the board. It seeks to return to a world where the strong impose its will through military might, corruption, and criminality, while weaker nations have to fall in line. And from the first moments of our administration, even as we sought to press the so-called reset button with then-President Medvedev, President Obama and I have made it clear that there is no, is no way for nations to behave in the 21st century. I was asked to lay out our policy at Munich in 2009, February. When I addressed the conference, I said, and I quote, we will not recognize any nation having a sphere of influence. It will remain our view that sovereign states have the right to make their own decisions and to choose their own alliances, end of quote. That was our position, that is our position, that should be our position. So we won't recognize any nation's sphere of influence. So let's say you have two tribes, and one tribe says we won't recognize any nation's sphere of influence, and the other tribe says we're going to kill everybody who gets in our way. That soon there's going to be one tribe, right? Because there, we live in a world, when he says we don't want to live in a world of sphere of influences where the strong over the power of the weak, that's the world we do live in. That is the world we live in. So what went wrong, aside from the fact that it's a fantasy and these experts are not so expert? Uh, you know, we've got Brexit in England, and Theresa May came out, I think it was this week she came out, and she said, this is happening. We're really doing this. You know, I don't care what anybody says. We are getting out of this. And she had a very, very definitive view of of what it was going to, what Brexit was going to look like. You have um, Marine Le Pen in uh, in France is running for president. She's a far right, uh, far right leader, and has always been just kind of on the outside. She is now. They they're saying she might win, and she's talking about pulling out of uh, the EU. The EU. And I think that there is something these guys are not thinking about. There's one thing. What is wrong with a vision? Of course we don't want people being bullies. We don't want, you know, nations bullying other nations. We don't want nations enslaving other nations. But Obama has said repeatedly, you know, it's not fair for America to go around telling people what to do. This is the guy who tried to interfere with the Israeli elections. You know, it's not there's a difference between what he says and what he does. You know. I was in Afghanistan for a very brief period of time. I went over there to write a story about our troops and how Hollywood movies, anti-war movies were affecting them. And 
there were guys there from the State Department, and I may have told the story before, but it's worth repeating in this context. You, you know, people in the State Department are incredibly bright. And, I mean, these are really the best and the brightest. And I remember sitting with this one guy in the mess hall from the State Department. He was just so smart. And he was talking about, you know, people, kind of things getting out of hand as the people wanted control. And it was, you know, these guys knew what they were doing. And I said, do you remember, because he was about my age, and I said, do you remember the communists? Do you remember the intellectuals telling us that the com that communism was the wave of the future? I've seen the future, and it works. And I said, there was a guy in Dubuque raking his leaves who had a high school education who knew that the communists were evil when you guys didn't see it. You know, I've heard this. I've, I talked to a diplomat once who told me how wrong it was that Israel had bombed Iraq's nuclear uh, reactor. And I was like, you know, God, I don't know, pal. You know, I didn't, I didn't lose a minute's sleep about that. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is. So what is it? What is it these guys are not saying? You know, let's take a look at Obama at his presser as he talked about, about Israel. Let's take a look at this. Because he's a lame duck. <laughs> All right, here's O'Duck and uh, Obama, I mean. In light of shifts in Israeli politics and Palestinian politics, uh, a rightward drift uh, in Israeli politics, a weakening of uh, President uh, Abbas's ability to move and take risks on behalf of peace uh, in the Palestinian territories, in light of all the dangers that have uh, emerged in the region uh, and the understandable fears that Israelis may have uh, about a, uh, the chaos and, and rise of groups like ISIL and uh, the deterioration of, of Syria. In light of all those things, um, what we at least wanted to do, understanding that the two parties wouldn't actually arrive at a final status agreement, is to preserve the possibility of a two-state solution because we do not see an alternative to it. And, and I've said this directly to Prime Minister Netanyahu. I've said it uh, inside of Israel. I've said it uh, to Palestinians as well. I don't see how this issue gets resolved in a way that maintains Israel as both Jewish and a democracy. He can't see. He can't. The, I'll tell you what the problem is. These guys are so smart that they look right through good and evil. They're so smart they can analyze everything to bits that they can't see the things that can't be analyzed. They can't see the things that are just bottom line. The way he was talking there, he can't tell the difference between a terrorist state, guys who, when given Democratic votes, elected terrorists as their leader, and a Democratic state. He cannot see how a country—he can't see how a country can be both Jewish and Democratic. What he's saying is, in other words, if, if they take over too much territory and there are all these Palestinians, then they'll have to have the vote, too. No, they don't. No, they don't. It's their country. It's the Jewish state. And it's there because the nations of the world prove that they can't handle the Jews. And you know why they can't handle the Jews? Because they can't see good and evil. That's why. Because the Jews have always been, even in our own minds, they have always been the purveyors of the word of God, the word of good and evil. And that's why people hate them. They hate them because they make them feel bad about themselves. People hate God because they hate themselves, and they hate themselves because they don't live up to the image of God. That's what that's what this is about. They cannot. Good and evil is an out-of-date concept to these guys, and so they cannot tell the difference. Let me show you Bernie Sanders, uh, the, who is now the 
icon of the left, all right? Let me show you Bernie Sanders uh, questioning Trump's health appointee, Tom Price. Let me just show you what he thinks of America as a nation. And this is, this is how blind they are to the difference between the good and the bad. The United States of America is the only major country on Earth that does not guarantee health care to all people as a right. Canada does it. Every major country in Europe does it. Do you believe that health care is a right of all Americans, whether they're rich or they're poor? Should people, because they are Americans, be able to go to the doctor when they need to, be able to go into a hospital because they are Americans? Yes, we're a compassionate society. No, we're not a compassionate society. In terms of our relationship to poor and working people, our record is worse than virtually any other country on Earth. We have the highest rate of childhood poverty of any other major country on Earth, and half of our senior older workers have nothing set aside for retirement. So I don't think, compared to other countries, we are particularly compassionate. Okay. Americans are a charitable group. In fact, the most generous in the world, according to the new Almanac of American Philanthropy. In a first-of-its-kind survey, the Almanac found that Americans outdonate Britain and Canada two to one, and nations like Italy and Germany 20 to one. What's more, more than half of every single income class, except those earning less than $25,000, donate to charity. The much maligned top 1% in the U.S., those billionaires that Bernie hates so much, they fork over one-third of all the charitable donations. So why can't Bernie see that? Why can't he see it? How do we how do we answer him when he says, you know, why aren't isn't the country taking care of this and giving this away for free? Well, let's take one more look at him talking to Betsy DeVos, uh, the education pick from Trump. Will you work with me and others to make public colleges and universities tuition free through federal and state efforts? Senator, I think that's a really interesting idea and it's really great to consider and think about but I think we also have to consider the fact that there's nothing in life that's truly free somebody's going to pay for it oh, and so yes you're right Yes, you're right. You know, and that's the whole problem right there. See, it's not that Americans are not compassionate. It's that they don't see the compassion unless they, the government, are doing it. They don't see they don't see how right can exist if they're not making the decision and telling you what right is, telling you who you should serve, where you should go, what you should say, even the words you should say. If it weren't for the First Amendment, you think they wouldn't be regulating our speech? Of course they would. They think if they're not setting the educational standards, there are no educational standards. If they're not redistributing the money, there is no compassion. And what we think, what we think is that each one of us in our sphere can make the decisions that need to be made. Their job is to ensure that we can do that. Remember, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Not to come and tell us which bathroom our kids to use, not to come and tell us where our window should be in our factory, not to come and tell us whether we should cater a wedding we don't approve of, to ensure our rights. That is the only reason they are there. There, and it is the consent of the governed that, that gives them, um, that from which they derive their powers, and they have lost that consent. They have lost that consent. Here in England, probably in France, around the West, they have lost that consent. They never had it. Davos never had it. Brussels never had it. And the bureaucrats in Washington, the EPA and the rest of them, they never had it. They were never elected. We never elected those people. They're telling us what to do in every little aspect of our lives. And people want it to stop. So now, 
we don't know what happens next. Into the dark we go, you know, and when you walk into the dark, you should walk carefully, no question about it, but keep walking, you know? I mean, to me, to me, this is one of the most fascinating times I have ever lived through, and I'm glad to be here to see it. I'm excited to see it. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm sure there's going to be some crises. I'm sure there's going to be some problems. But, but I think it is time for these guys in Brussels, in Davos, in Washington to go away. And I think that that is the word that's been sent to them. And let's see if they can hear it. I mean, obviously, they haven't been able to hear it until now. But let's see, uh, you know, what, what happens next. I mean, that, that's the amazing thing. The amazing thing. The freedom is so entertaining because only in freedom is, you do not know what's going to happen next. I hope it's going to be great. Friday. Unless CNN blows him up, <laughs> Donald Trump is going to be president of the United States. No one expected it. No one saw it coming. No one knows what's going to happen next. But we are hoping and praying for the best. I will see you next week. I'm off to Vermont for some. I know. What an idiot. I don't know what I was thinking. Mark Stein asked me. I like Mark Stein, so I'm going to do Mark Stein's new show. Um, I, hopefully, I will make it back through the snows of winter after the Clavenless weekend. Uh, we end. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show, and we end with Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks with our last message to Barack Obama. I've talked to your mother and I've talked to your dad. They say they've tried, but it's all in vain. I've begged and I've pleaded, I've even got mad. Now we must face it. Give me a pain How can I miss you When you won't go away Keep telling you Day after day But you won't listen You always stay and stay How can I miss you When you won't go away Your never ending presence Really cramps my style I dream that it won't always be the same at first I was attracted, but after a while, have you ever heard of a hard to get game? How can I?